Super Talk Mississippi media production. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi such an amazing place to live, work, and play, and Mississippi for that matter. I just, tell you what, we celebrate here every single morning on Supertalk Gulf Coast and on Supertalk TV across the state. The incredible people who are making this such a special place. And we have my friend Robert St. John coming up here in just a second. But before I do, I want to share something with you. It's from my friend Stacy Waldrop. I, I quote stuff she posts a lot because she's really a special and positive person. But here's what she here's what she posted. It's called It's the Little Things by Tiffany Molay. Waking up to the sound of your loved ones. Putting on the comfiest clothes for the day, the first sip of coffee in the morning, the sounds of birds chirping outside, and the way the day starts over, no matter what happened yesterday. Oh, darling, it's it's the little things that keep you going, no matter how challenging life is right now. I hope you always seek out joy and find gratitude even when life starts to weigh you down. There's so much to be thankful for, especially in the little things. I think we move too fast in our lives sometimes, and we don't appreciate the moment. We don't take the time to pause and do a little minute meditation. I think the mornings over a cup of coffee is a wonderful time to do that. I know that's when I do it myself. And um, I think the older we get, the more we appreciate what's going on around us. Like I was just having a conversation with my son, Justin, who was up in New York and doing really well with his career. And I, I told him, I said, man, just don't take this moment for granted. It, it's, a, it's very special. And um, and he just sent me back a note and said that he, he realizes that. But, you know, I, t- I tell you, just you can't do anything about yesterday. You can really, really do a lot about this moment. And uh, you can you can plan for tomorrow, but not worry too much about tomorrow. That's that's best advice I can give you. And uh, it's really kind of the way that my next guest lives his life, to be quite honest. Well, he does a lot of planning for the future, doesn't worry about yesterday, and he really soaks up the moment. I don't know many people who soak up the moment better. Robert St. John, a restaurateur, chef, columnist. He's an author. He's kind of a renaissance man, the way I would describe him. But before we go any further, let me welcome Robert back to Coast View. It's been a while, my friend. How are you? Ricky, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, no no place I'd rather be um, on a morning uh, than speaking with you. It's good to catch up. Well, you're a good friend. And uh, what, what, what I like about Coast View, someone once told us early in the process, this is kind of the advice that, that shows like this are given by the radio industry. And that is, imagine that you're sitting at a table, you know, drinking a cold glass of tea or a nice wine and having a conversation with someone. And you're just letting other people listen in. <laughs> that's, that's what you and I do when we're together. Man, we got a lot to talk about. I, I'll kind of give you a quick outline. I want to know the latest on your businesses. I see that recently you posted something about Austin Summerall. I got a comment I want to make about that. You've made it to Spain and Italy. You you finally got to travel again after yeah. after a two year hiatus, and we'll explain to people why this is really important to you, and in particular the Tuscany area of of, of um, Italy's become sort of a second home to you. And uh, your extra table effort, which I'm you know I, I can't say enough good things about, 
And the fact that you're leaner, you're sort of a leaner, meaner Robert coming on the show today. Uh, so uh, why don't we start with that? How, how are you doing? And ha have you lost some weight? Yeah, yeah, I've lost, really, I've lost about 55 pounds. Uh, got got about 20 more to go. I was, uh, I, I put on a good bit of COVID weight there. And probably if I, if I look at photographs of 2019, 2018, it's probably a little before COVID too. Uh, uh, it's an easy thing to blame it on. but. Um, you know, as I said, when I when I turn sixty, I want to be in the, in the best health I've been in in a few decades, and so started working towards that and pushing away from uh, from things at the table. I had breakfast with Julia Child years ago uh, out in Colorado, and we, and we talked. Uh, the The two things I can remember from that conversation, I actually had breakfast with her twice, two two different times. With the two things I took away, um, the first time we had breakfast together. We talked about scrambling eggs and uh, and and how um, you can really judge a chef a lot of times by two things. One, how they prepare chicken, um, because if you can really really do something with chicken, you can you can you know it's easy to to work with uh, you know really fresh fish or a, a prime cut of beef or you know veal or, or things like like that that have a lot of character. But it's it's what you do with chicken. Uh, that can really impress them. And the other thing we talked about was scrambled eggs and how uh, how to cook the perfect scrambled egg. But another takeaway is I asked her, you know, how do you all this French food uh, that you're eating? And it was very, you know, the, her her that was 1960s, 1970s, very very heavy French food. And she said, I don't deny myself, but but I, I just push away after a minute. So. Yeah. You know, you, you eat what you want, but you just have to be. And I'm not a person who really uh, is good on, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of all out in most things I do. So it's not easy to push away from the table. But, you know, it's, it's 60. Well, 60 okay, so you're, you're a chef. You enjoy other restaurants. You like, for example, I spent, you know, I was publisher at the Times Beginning, so I spent a lot of time in New Orleans. And, you know, when you go to New Orleans, Man, you indulge. And when you go to Italy and Spain, you indulge. And it's always fascinating to me that chefs are able to actually lose weight. Yeah. Yeah. So typically when I lead tours over in Europe, um, usually two to three months out of the year in normal years, obviously we had a, a two-year hiatus there. But, but typically when I'm over there, I lose about, if I'm over there seven weeks or so, I lose 15 pounds. And it's not because I'm not eating, because uh, we eat a lot. I, I lead tours with a lot of lot of folks from the coast. Probably people you know, friends you know, have traveled with me over there, and we eat. I mean, it's a it's a full immersion into Italian food and wine and culture and lifestyle. But the thing is, is that uh, when I'm over there, I walk a lot. Don't necessarily walk as much over here. So probably. Average, you know, three, four, five miles a day over there, but also it's that Mediterranean diet. You know, um, it, there's pasta and bread, but especially in Tuscany, uh, the Tuscans are very aware of the digestive system and how your body processes food. And <clears throat> excuse me, they're always thinking about that and and the 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 course uh, structure of their meals. Is like that. They'll have kind of a first antipasto, a first course, 
that that kind of gets the palate going, and then then they have the pasta course next. Um, and we can talk about flour and my theory on on the difference in flour and and why you know our bodies today don't necessarily um, react to European version versus the American version. But uh, then there's a protein and then a salad. Um, dessert is typically nothing real uh, heavy, uh, and then there's coffee afterwards. And they don't do. I mean, it's things like. Um, they wouldn't put any dairy product in coffee after about 10 a.m. in the morning. So typically after after lunch, they'll have some type of dessert maybe, and then just an espresso, just a little bit, nothing with cream in it. And, uh, and so that's kind of part of it, but I think the walking uh, part is too. Uh, my goddaughter, who's uh, Italian, was over here staying with us for about three months in the first part of the year. And I eat breakfast every morning. We have a breakfast concept called the Midtowner, uh, which is across from uh, the university uh, here in Hattiesburg. My house is probably two miles away or whatever. And she would she would like to ride with me to breakfast, uh, but then she'd want to walk back to the house every morning. And that's just you know that's something that we just don't do. So there's a there's a whole lifestyle difference, and so that's that's kind of I think why I lose when I'm over there. This time I only lost five pounds. I think because I had lost a lot uh, before I before I went over there, and I had lost all the easy pounds uh, before so, I headed over. So we'll get in we'll get into a little bit more deeper uh, immersion on on what you did and where you went and all that. But let's and your, the fact that your son's actually over in Italy now, yeah. working with a chef, and we'll come to that as well. You know, I mentioned I mentioned about Austin Summerall. You 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 made a uh, a post about him. I love what he's doing at the White Pillars. He's been on the show a couple of times. Um, in fact, my wife and I had got a um, got a uh, a gift certificate from our kids to to go there and have dinner. So I'm looking forward to heading there with Ann soon to have dinner. But he's done some cool things. But what I like about it is that you've always supported other chefs, no matter whether they're in your next door neighbor or all the way down here in Biloxi. That's always been really important to you, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, you know we're I got that we have this button here that says eat local, and I'm. Fully, I've been. I wear this every day, uh, unless I'm going to a wedding or a funeral. And uh, you know, it's it's something that we really need to um, support, and it's a theory we support. So yeah, yeah, I, um, you know, I'm all for local, independent operators, whether they're chefs or just restaurateurs. And uh, Austin is nailing it down on the coast, man. He's. It's certainly one of my top two or three restaurants on the coast, but he's probably one of the top two or three chefs uh, in the state. He's, he's very talented. He's got a lot of touch, and touch is very important in cooking. Yeah, he's 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 really innovative, and he is so passionate. Which you've taught me, and others in this business have taught me. You've got to be passionate to be in this business. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Robert St. John. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Supertalk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Coast View. I'm my friend Robert St. John. We're just visiting and catching up. He's kind of a renaissance man, and you'll understand why if you haven't heard me have conversations with him before. You know, with the last time we t- spoke, I think it was actually in December, uh, but we did a full review of your Walter Anderson project, the the documentary and the book back in November. Um, you know, even today, when, when you bring it up, people are incredibly impressed with the book. Uh, it really changed the way I see Walter Anderson, to be honest with you. I knew a lot about him, you know, but the documentary was the deepest dive into his life and what he had to say and the people who were closest to him, et cetera. Um, you know, you, you look back on that project and you really still, still feel incredibly positive. I bet the feedback you get even today is still great. Yeah, I'm very, very proud uh, to have been a part of that and really a small part. My my partner in that project was a guy named Anthony Thaxton, uh, who I've worked with for over 20 years. He, uh, our TV show, uh, Palette to Palette, and the new show that's coming out called Yonder Lust. Uh, he's the director and the editor and a producer of that. And so we, we had a great working relationship. And it was actually while we were filming an episode uh, for Palette to Palette in the Walter Anderson Museum that the idea for the documentary, uh, which was the first idea, we did a documentary, which now uh, has actually been nominated for a regional Emmy. Uh, we'll, we head to uh, Atlanta for those awards in June. We got our fingers crossed there. Uh, and I, I was a producer of the documentary, but he he did all of the heavy lifting. And, and the same with the book. And it's one of the more uh, one of the more interesting projects I've ever been a part of, but also uh, one of the things I'm, I'm most proud to have been a, a small part of. And it, we wanted, to, like you said, we wanted to tell the whole story. We told the story in a very heavy way from uh, from the family's perspective, and it was my kind of guidepost from the start. Is that I wanted people in Portland, Oregon, and people in Portland, Maine to know and everybody in between to know who Walter Anderson was and what he meant and means to the American art scene and and what a what a an amazing talent he was and I think a lot of times we can't see the forest for the pine trees and in, in some things like this you talk to some people even people from Ocean Springs and like oh yeah he was crazy I mean it was that's kind of the first easy yeah, they don't get it Thing they do, and it's so much more <laughs> than you know a two-year period of his life where you know he had some struggles after uh, contracted malaria. Right, it's certainly eccentric, but but you you can't be uh, as productive and prolific as he was, and you can't be as big a thinker as he was. He's a big thinker. Right, He's a great writer. And so I'm actually publishing and writing another afterward to a book uh, that John Anderson, the youngest son, has uh, been working on for several years uh, that'll come out this year called the Bicycle Logs. You know, there's the Horn Island Logs, and now uh, there's so much. You know, he rode his bike to Texas. I mean, he rode his bike. It was nothing for him to ride from Ocean Springs to New Orleans. Pardon me. So uh, that book coming out this fall, there are two books. A book that I'm a part of, a small part of, is that, The Bicycle Logs of Walter Anderson. And then I have a cookbook coming out, a breakfast cookbook uh, this fall. But we, uh, this this whole Walter Anderson project 
uh, bringing kind of notable Mississippians uh, to light uh, has kind of started a spark in us. And so Anthony and I are also, our next project is on your door welting. And so we're, we're, we're kind of doing the same treatment. Uh, we're, we're, I'm producing a documentary uh, along with Anthony who will direct and edit and produce and write as well. And then there'll be a companion book that comes along with that. And, and, and it's just as it was where the Andersons, the all family members were so gracious and opened up the vault. They opened up everything, all the correspondence, as did the museum. Uh, we're getting the same kind of participation with the Welty Estate and the Department of Archives and family members. So it'll be a, a deep, deep dive <laughs> into Welty. There had been 20 books written on Walter Anderson. There hadn't been a lot on, on Eudora Welty. Mm -hmm. so, hey, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant a seed for you. Okay. I had the opportunity to do what was probably the last deep dive conversation media conversation with bill luckett and you as you know bill luckett and morgan freeman started the grand uh, zero blues club and in that conversation if you didn't see it i'll send it to you so you can kind of get a sense of it but in that conversation we we go through the whole process of what morgan and bill wanted to create and this deep knowledge of the impact of blues on for example the europe european blues the, uh you know uh scene you know, like like the impact on people like Bob Dylan and Keith Richard and Robert Plant. I know you're you're a, a music aficionado, Eric Clapton for sure. You know, the, this whole notion of Robert uh, uh, um, uh, Johnson and how he impacted the scene and all these others with the De Ground Zero Blues Club and the Delta you know Blues Museum and how there's just incredible story to tell about the newest sort of you know grammy winners like like uh, uh, kingfish ingram and uh, and then some of the, some of the oldest guys but that centers in this conversation around morgan and bill luckett and what they wanted to achieve god there's some there's some fodder there for for something very big yeah well you know we're there we're kind of on this uh notable mississippians um, kind of train right now, and there there's several available. We've talked about doing Faulkner next, and and uh, we'll 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 go back to the well as long as long as people want to keep watching, and as long as uh, PBS wants to keep airing them, we'll we'll keep producing them. As least in this case, you got that you got you got Morgan Freeman who's still kicking, <laughs> so you got an opportunity to really tap in them. Right. How, how's how's your business is doing? Just we'll do this quickly. This part. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, business is good. We're uh, the restaurant business is really, uh, you know, we just got through a two year period where it was the most uh, brutal time in the history of the restaurant business, like in the history of the restaurant to be in the restaurant business. So we're glad to be kind of coming out on the other end of that. There's still there are a lot of challenges anyway in the restaurant business, just owning and operating a restaurant. There's, there are not many businesses where there are more ways to lose money than there are to make money. Like they're like the restaurant business, but you know the challenges today are uh, the labor market is is almost uh, you know it's it's hard to even explain what a dearth there is in the labor market. I'm not sure why that is, or or you know I know that for a long time there was a lot of government assistance. For a long time there needed to be, yeah. Um, but 
you know, to my knowledge, all that's gone, but, but they're, you know, the, the kind of the capitalist system, uh, hadn't, hadn't restarted yet. And, and so the labor challenges are great. And, and I can imagine on the coast with uh, so many service jobs, um, available down there, that is pretty brutal down there too. I talked to Austin, uh, about that the other day and he's fully staffed and he's, his staff's in good shape. So maybe it's, it's shaping up around other people, the supply chain, uh, those, there are issues there now. And then just the other than labor food call. Yeah. I mean, some of these proteins have gone up like 30%. So that's unreal. Years. And so yeah, Austin, Austin was business there, but uh, I think not a lot of people making a lot of money on the business. So if I remember Austin's story, his core group kind of kept together. And yeah. I think the story of your story, your core group kind of stayed together. Uh, however, you, you know, you've got a periphery of uh, really important employees that you know, churn and typically churned in a normal scenario, you know, but then you add the pandemic to it and it was just terrible. But I tell you, I don't care if you're talking about service jobs or you're talking about highly technical jobs at Ingalls. Every single employer is having to get incredibly innovative today. Uh, and it's it's been a really big challenge. Yeah, that's a, there's just a new paradigm. And we have 400 employees uh, throughout the, the company. Uh, with uh, we got a couple of more projects in the works, and so we're about to add to that. And and I think that's exactly. And it's funny you bring that up because I was thinking about it this morning. You know, our training process has to change. Um, the uh, the makeup of the labor available now is different, and so you have to kind of uh, change uh, how you uh, manage that and and how how that's hired. And, and so it's just a different environment early on. In 2020, I remember thinking, you know, everybody keeps, keeps talking about this new normal, new normal. And I said, I refuse to believe in a new normal. I wanted to get back just to how it is. But we, we're we in a new normal, uh, you know, as, as much as I would like to deny that and, and just kind of whistle past the graveyard on it. It's the world is different now and we've got to we got to treat it differently and, and to be a responsible business person. And, uh, you know, the decisions I make, there are, you know, people, 400 people and their families depend on that. So, And, and it is the world. I mean, a study was done to sh- around the world that showed that 50% of employees, current employees, were either thinking about leaving or going to leave as a result of what they learned during the pandemic. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Robert St. John. See you after this break. Subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I'm having a terrific conversation with my friend, restaurateur, chef, columnist, author, and so on, (laughs) world traveler. Uh, Robert St. John. It's always great to check in with him. Robert, I had an opportunity recently to uh, to check in with Oliver Diaz. I don't know if you're following him or not. No. 
but uh, a former former Supreme Court justice, literally traveling the world. He and his wife. They've and and they were in Bali when when we connected before. But man, it is it is truly remarkable. But anyway, what he comes back is similar observation you make, but. I think with the, with what's going on in Ukraine today, people feel slightly closer, or maybe a lot more closer to those people, and can't, and maybe they dislike Putin more than they ever have. But the, his observation is the world is small. The world is really small. And at the end of the day, we're very similar people. We have similar values. We want to take care of our families. We want to, you know, we want to find ways to enjoy our lives. What you found in Tuscany, though, was was uh, was incredibly unique, and that is that. The people in Tuscany are very much like the people in Mississippi. And it really drives this point home that the when you travel and you gain perspective, the world is really small. And we're very dang similar, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Really, it's 100% true. I did a, one, of the, one of the better things I'll ever do, at least for my family. And you and I have talked about this a lot. In 2011, I took my wife and my 10-year-old son and my 14-year-old daughter. We flew to Sweden, bought a Volvo, and spent the next six months uh, driving around, um, I don't know, 17 countries and 72 cities on two continents. And it was, it, was, it was the greatest thing I'll ever do for my family. And it, it instilled in them a little bit of a wanderlust, but uh, certainly, like you say, an appreciation uh, for other people and other cultures. And uh, it... it it makes the world a little smaller, really, like you said. And and one of the first things that hit me, we went really hard early on from, I mean, we started in Gothenburg, Sweden, and about six weeks later, we were in Istanbul, Turkey. So we went really, really hard, and we kind of came up through Greece and that Adriatic coast into Vienna. And when we came into uh, Tuscany for the first time, we had been traveling pretty hard for two months. And it was the first time we kind of had a collective kind of, oh, let's, and we spent three weeks there. And uh, that was one of the first things I realized that, you know, Tuscany is a lot like the American South. I mean, it, it's an agrarian society, but instead of uh, grapes and olives, I mean, instead of soybeans and cotton, it's grapes and olives. And uh, the people are very hospitable. They're very friendly. Uh, they're very conversational. They're great storytellers. Um, the hospitality is is a lot like it is over here. They love to eat. Uh, they love to share a meal. And family is really big. And and that falls through. I'm sure you could name a hundred other countries or regions in other countries where it's similar to what we have here in the South. But if you think about it, you know the rest of America is not quite like that. I mean, there's there are other agrarian societies. They may not be as hospitable, or they may not be as family oriented, or as friendly, or all that. You know, the South. Um, <clears throat> we I think we check all the boxes there, and that's why Tuscany really speaks to me still, and why we keep going back. Uh, uh, Oliver Oliver also wrote this, and I think you'll you'll believe it and feel it completely. He said that. Traveling has taught me that humans are social creatures. We live in communities and are surrounded by others. We strive for friendships and relationships. We need those connections with other people. And he goes on from there. But 
when you're in Tuscany, just much as you would see in in Hattiesburg or here on the coast, this you know this there's a friendliness, a wanting to connect. There's a there's a social aspect to it, and other than maybe obviously a different language, uh, and certainly an accent for those who speak English, it's incredibly similar in that way, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and I will tell you, it, it was always that way uh, to my in my experience, but even more so now. Like going back now, um, I, I I do tours, I lead uh, tours. So I'm not a tour guide; I'm a travel host. Uh, we have tour guides over in these areas we go to, which is all over Italy and and most recently Spain. But you know, it's um, now. Because Italy, so much of Italy's economy is based on tourism, and uh, it's it's the government is still a little socialistic. It's not not a lot like ours, and so there wasn't a lot of government assistance uh, during that shutdown, and people weren't traveling, and and so now when people go over, the Italians are so happy, and they they were, they already did a great job more so than the French and and others. Of of really welcoming uh, visitors and guests, but nowadays, man, they're so grateful. People were actually thanking, thank you for being here. We, I mean, we kept hearing that, and we we heard that in Spain too. And um, the people we travel with are almost ex- all exclusively Southerners. Not all Mississippians, but there's a lot of Louisiana, Alabama, Tennessee, Texas, and so we hear comments too. We travel in groups of twenty five. We hear comments too that and the people, your people, are so happy and they're so friendly and they're so nice and 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 what it is, it's just kind of that southern culture and southern attitude just meeting the same thing across the sea. That's so interesting. You you mentioned Spain and just I'll, I'll mention one other thing about Oliver. To give you a sense of how he and his wife immerse themselves where they go. They they walked the entire Camino, the you know Camino de Santiago, yeah, yeah. over seven hundred miles. Yeah. They walked it, That's so true. they're serious about that stuff. You know, there, there's uh, there's a pilgrimage route in uh, Italy too that's been taken forever that leads uh, to Rome, and a lot of it goes through the area. They call it the pilgrimage route over there. Uh, it goes through the area of where we stay. We stay in a little small town called Barbarino Tavernelli when we're in Tuscany. And the beauty of that place when we stay there is that there are, unless, if you're, if you're counting us, we're the only tourists that are going to be there all year long. And so it's, it's real. We kind of do a deep dive and immersion into, you know, Italian culture and food and not, not the tourist stuff. But yeah, <laughs> hey, the yeah. pilgrimage route right there. I, I, I have a sense of what that looks like um, in, in the sense that you're, you're talking about wine and bread and olives similar to the countryside of of, uh, of croatia when you when you go up in these rolling hills and how it looks and how it feels and it's uh it's quaint it's beautiful it's uh you know a lot of you know it's rural <laughs> rural in the truest sense croatia is beautiful i mean croatia if you think about because the adriatic's here and you've got italy here and just across the adriatic is croatia so there's not a lot of difference in a, in a lot of the the people and the places and the sentiment and everything. Uh, Dubrovnik is a beautiful old town, a double-walled city with marble everywhere. It just glows amber. And yeah. I, before I went there, uh, I, I think in 2011, 
you know, all I knew was kind of the the war that happened in the nineties, and I'm thinking Croatia. You know, why would anybody want to go here? And then you go, and it's just beautiful. I so, had the same feeling. Yeah. I had the same feeling. But when we went, it was we immersed ourselves. We went all the way south. We went all the way north. We used uh, we used Dubrovnik and Split as sort of base stations. We went to islands off of Split and. We actually, you know, we hired we hired a guide. Uh, we, we we wanted someone from a local person who's not necessarily someone who would normally do a guided uh, description of the war back in the 1990s. But I wanted someone who who literally had gone through this, and she had. She she was in the city as the bombs are raining in, raining in, and Ann and I got a great you know ex, you know great sense of. I mean, you know the story, but over just over 200 policemen protected that city. Yeah. While these bombs are coming in from the sea and coming in from over the mountains, it's an amazing story. Yeah, kind of a microcosm, really, to what poor Ukraine is having to deal with these days. Just incredible. How much did people want to talk about that when you were there? Um, they were, uh, you know, they're a little closer than we are, but it's still a couple of thousand miles away. They are, I'm not sure if their news sources really drum up. The possibility of where I mean, we kept hearing you know World War Three stuff, but I think if you think about it, you know they had two world wars on their soil uh, within the last century, in the last hundred years, just a little over, and so you know they're coming at it from a different angle than we are, and so they were they were pretty worried about that, and and um, you know we're. It's a, it's a good it's a good bit away, but back to the Dalmatian coast. My son's actually going to be there. Uh, he he goes there for a week uh, before he heads home. He's living in Florence right now, working, but he's uh, he's getting to head back over there. I wish I was going to get to go with him. It's a beautiful area. Tell tell us what he's doing in Italy. Yeah, so my son is named Harrison St. John. He's twenty years old, and uh, he wants to go in the restaurant business. And right now he's living in Florence, working for a friend of mine. Why don't we? Hey, let's do this, Robert. We're okay. coming to the end of the segment. R- working for a friend of you, living in Florence. We'll pick up right there when we come up on the other side. This is Robert St. John. We'll see you after this break. Sounds great. Also, listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. It's always fun to catch back up with my friend Robert St. John's. When we went to break, we were talking about his son is actually living in Florence right now. Working with a chef. Why don't you pick it up from there? Yeah. So, you know, he came to me probably when he was 15 and told me he wanted to get into the restaurant business. Uh, It's nothing I ever pushed on him because it's such a brutal business. If you don't just love it and are passionate about it, you're going to be miserable. So, you know, I did. I wanted him to do whatever he thought. And and so I said, okay, you know, we'll see. And so I waited a little while. And by the time he got to be a senior in high school, he said, you know, that's what I want to do. And so I said, okay, here's the deal. And basically, I laid out for him what I wished uh, I would have done. I did it all backwards. But 
Um, I said, all right, here's the deal. You want to you want to get in the restaurant business, at least with me and with our company. You know, you need to go to go to college for four years, get a degree in uh, business with a minor in accounting. Then you need to go to culinary school to the Culinary Institute of America up in Hyde Park, New York. So like the Harvard of cooking schools, you know, get a get a degree there, become a chef. And then you need to get out and work for other people for two years. I've got friends all through the business, work in the front of the house, work in the back of the house, get experience. So that's eight years. And then at the end of that eight year period, I say, you can come back to one of our restaurants, but you're going to start at the bottom. You know, you're going to, you're going to, doesn't matter what your title is, where you've worked, what your experience is, you're going to start at the bottom, work your way up. Otherwise, you're, you're never going to gain anyone's respect. And he's, he's all in on that. We've had to tweak it a little bit because his college career was so um, abnormal and he, uh, you know, his spring semester of his freshman year, COVID hit. And so things went online and that he'll he'll finish his degree, but uh, he's not going to do it in four years. But he was he was just he was restless. He was ready to get to work. And so uh, last fall, I, I said, all right, here's here's the deal. Uh, we're in the process of opening an Italian restaurant. We have one here in Hattiesburg. We're about to open one in Jackson. I said, why don't you go over and just work for uh, my friend Paolo and, and cook in his restaurant and live in. He's got. Uh, ever since we took that long trip, uh, he really, really loves, especially Italy, but he loves travel. And so, you know, he's living in um, a one-room, third-floor walk-up in Florence and takes the bus uh, 45 minutes every day into the little town of Tabernelli, uh, which is where we stay when we're there. It, it's about a 45-minute bus ride for him. It's 20 minutes out of town. but um, And so he's working and cooking. I, I've said forever that uh, Paolo's mom is a lady named Juliana. She's a, uh, an Italian lady, speaks zero English. I said, if I could bring her over to America, you know, we could make a mint in an Italian restaurant. So she'll never come to America, but I did the next best thing, which is send my son over there to cook with her. So he's learning uh, authentic Italian recipes and uh, having, a, having a great time living in Florence. You know, there are I think 70 American universities that are affiliated over there. So there's so many young uh, college students his age. He's met a lot of them. He's he's having many dates, but he uh, he works uh, he works during the day. And this September, uh, he'll he'll head off to culinary school and kind of get that um, track uh, started back up again. That's so cool. So look, hey, we only have just a little short period of time left. I'm assuming that the that the stresses on extra table and your your commitment to continue increasing the number of people that you that you feed uh, has been just extraordinary. But what's the latest? So extra table now is we are we are absolutely statewide uh, nonprofit. We're in 56 agencies all the way from North Mississippi to the coast. Uh, we ship uh, healthy food to over 56 of those agencies every month. It costs them nothing. We go out, we raise money, we buy uh, food, healthy food, actually at below wholesale by the tractor trailer load. Uh, we have a partner who buys that, gets it shipped in, they store it for us and they ship it for us at, at, at no cost, the extra table. And so when we approach an agency, uh, we go in and, and say, hey, we're extra table. I mean, nowadays they've heard of us in the early days, 
we go approach them and say, hey, we're extra table. We want to start sending you food. You're doing a great job getting food to those uh, 670,000 Mississippians who need it. And um, and they're skeptical at first. It's like, well, how much is this going to cost us? It's not going to cost you anything. We're going to raise money. We're going to buy food. We're going to ship it to you. Then they, well, do you want our donor list? Nope, don't want your donor list. We just want to ship you food. And so until they really get that first monthly delivery, um, <clears throat> they're a little skeptical. But once they get that, because we roll it directly into the agency, stock it on the shelves and, and make it very easy for, the, for them. And, uh, you know, we're tackling the, the hunger. If you see the extra table map nowadays and how much of the state we cover, it's uh, it's it surprises me when I look. I never thought we could could have achieved that, and and it all comes from the hard work of our executive director, who I know you've had on your show, Martha Allen, and her team of one. There's two people that run out of a bar corner at my office here that cover a statewide charity and are shipping more than 40 tons of healthy food every month over 56 agencies yeah martha martha is a terrific person yes she's been on the show more than once and the work that you guys are doing across the state the vision that you created and this way this thing has exploded it's been something to behold but anyway hey robert it's been great to catch up with you my friend ricky uh, anytime yeah. congratulations on your travels on your successes and keep up the great work and uh godspeed to your son on his travels as well we'll see you soon all right buddy have a great day and we'll see you tomorrow Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.